I claim this planet in the name of the Earth. Greeting, Earthlings. We have now taken over your radio. I take a shot, I hit him, like, okay, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling good. So I get the ball next drive, and I drive towards the basket. I take a step forward, guy's there, so I take, I move back a little, like, plant my pivot foot, move back, and go for a hook shot, airball it. <laughs> and then, very next shot, guy right in my face, I took it anyways, airball. J.R. Smith. I, you're, I was going to say, you're, that's called the J.R. Smith zone. <laughs> you know, and... You're feeling you know, it, it just little, doesn't go in. Yeah, and you know those little, like, Super Saiyan GIFs? Yeah. Like, that everyone knows, like, LeBron and Steph Curry and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like this. No. <laughs> no. Maybe I should have gone to the uh, DBZ bar in, uh, in um, Orlando. Have you gone yet? I just now found out about that yesterday because you, you sent it to me. Because I sent it to you? Yes. I mean, I, I saw that, and I was like, if I was still in Orlando, I, that would have been the – if I saw that on Twitter – that would have been the moment that I got up, grabbed my wallet, and left. Like They were closed. I literally looked it up. <laughs> yes. Damn. I don't think I would have gone if they weren't, but like because they were closed, that helps me. Where also is it? Also because I'm broke right now, but that's besides the point. But soup. How, how expensive could soup be? Um, noodle soup. Noodle soup. Um, where is it? It's in Vineland, I think is what it's called. It's called Super Saiyan. Soup or Saiyan. Soup or Saiyan. That's just amazing. I mean, I can't believe nobody's thought of that before. This is what happens when our generation starts, like, getting old enough to, like, start businesses and <laughs> have jobs. It's just, it's incredible. Like, it's probably Super Saiyan, not Super Saiyan. Super Saiyan. Super Saiyan. Yeah, it's in Vineland Road. It's on Vineland Road in Orlando. What's that near? Um, I looked it up last night. It's about thirty minutes away from uh, UCF. Oh, it's far. Um, yeah, it's not super. I mean, when you look it up, it's not like super, super far, but it's like also not super, super close. It's a Super Saiyan. Yeah, it's not super close. It's not super far. <laughs> Did you watch the Orlando Sentinel video? She was literally just making like. DBZ puns like Goku and Goku and Gohan. No way. I'll watch it. Like, it's just. Who was it's it? It's kind of painful, but it's also kind of amazing. Who did the video? I don't remember. It's uh, some staffer for Orlando Sentinel. I wonder if I know her. Um, I'll have to watch it. It's. I hope. I there... need to go here. I just want everything to be named like Krillin Soup. Like, I just. I want like a hot steaming bowl of Krillin Soup. Well, see, what I'm looking at, I'm looking at the menu right now. It uh -huh. looks like a normal menu. Like, it's a normal noodle bar. And I've actually heard, like, the people they interviewed on the video were like, oh, yeah, it's actually, I came here for the name, but it's actually a pretty solid noodle bar. Which, huh. I don't know if I've ever been to a noodle bar, and I would like to try it. Names, just name off some things on the menu if you're looking at it now. 
Well, okay. First, you start off. You pick up. You pick your broth, which right. is a veggie, a chicken, or a beef. And the beef is actually Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> actually, the beef and chicken look both like anime related of some kind. <laughs> actually, even the veggies have like eyes. And okay, that's all. That's that's like anime ish. Then you pick your noodles, rice, egg, homemade rice, and udon. Then a protein. They got a bunch of meats in here. Wow, they have calamari. Whoa, I'm on board. Meatballs? Wow. Nice. What's flank? Flank steak? Oh. Oh, yeah, of course. I assume. Looks like they have some signature balls of some kind. And they play like Dragon Ball Z while you're there. They have Dragon Ball Z on TV while you're there. They just loop Dragon Ball Z episodes? Dragon Ball Z episodes, movies. I mean, there's a ton of episodes. Like, I'm going to look that up how many there are right now. There's a lot. What if they have the original series, Dragon Ball? Oh, classic. If they have that? Okay, so I'm looking up how many episodes there are right now. There's got to be like a ton. But if you include that along with the original and all the movies, like you can go a good like year without without having to loop. You should just quit your job and work there. I should. Well, no, I'd probably be terrible at a noodle bar to be honest. Why? It doesn't sound hard. You just put the noodles in, that they want in the broth that they want. Good to go. <laughs> no, see, here's the thing. They probably actually like actually cook the food. It's not like fast food where like you know it's uh, already made and stuff. Maybe you could be like a busboy or something and just stand around and watch Dragon Ball Z for your whole shift. There are nine seasons. Nine seasons. Dragon Ball Z. Is that including Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z? Just Dragon Ball Z. There's nine seasons of Dragon Ball Z? The Sand Saga, the Namek and Captain Ginyu Sagas, the Frieza Saga, the Garlic Jr. Trunks and Android Sagas, the Imperfect Cell and Perfect Cell Sagas, Cell Game Sagas, Great Saiyaman and World Tournament Sagas. That one was terrible. Yep. Bobbity and Majin Buu sagas and the Fusion and Kid Buu sagas. Oh God, yeah, like, I forget. My, my they, I remember they had those right those those garbage World Championship seasons in the middle. That they split basically every story into two seasons. Basically, like, yeah. at starting at Cell, like two to three. Yeah. Except the Sand one. That one seems to be the short. That's just one big long season apparently. But. <laughs> Did you see my tweet yesterday where I asked where where you went through your where people went through their Lincoln Park phase? <laughs> no. I asked when did you go through your Lincoln Park phase, it's and a, I got so many answers. That's a really good question. It's very hashtag and relatable. Then it, then it hit me. Millennial, like if you want to connect with millennials, hashtag millennials. If you want to connect with them, play Lincoln Park and Dragon Ball Z. Lincoln Park is a spell over our generation. Yeah, I we mean have, hybrid theory. Come on now. That's my jam. <laughs> like, no Great matter album. how hard we try to avoid it, we all go through a Linkin Park phase, and when we hear it, we start singing along to it secretly right. because just we all have an enjoyment of Linkin Park no matter how hard we try. Hard we try. Because in the end, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> Very good. You know who else doesn't even matter? Who? The Cleveland Cavaliers right now when they go up against Bismack Biombo. They don't, and this is a podcast to be named later. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. This, I'm Wes Goldberg. This is Chris Barnwell. Um Yeah, we've got some stuff to talk about. Bismarck Biombo being a max contract player. Um, Oklahoma City Golden State series. And uh, Dave Fisdale, my boy. 
getting his hire, getting his uh, head coaching job on. So um, he literally just now got hired. Like we were preparing and he got fired. Yeah, we we're like, oh hey, he got hired. Maybe we'll talk about that. And we're like, all right, dope. Let's talk about that. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but we got to start with Bismack. I know we've talked about Bismack Biombo a lot on this podcast already, um, but so okay. Um, let me let me preface with as a Heat fan, I was actively rooting against the Raptors. Of course you were because just residual hard feelings and heartbreak um, just spill over into the next series. And now, like I'm just watching them and I'm trying to appreciate Bismack Biombo as much as I can. And just kind of like this weird thing, but he's kind of having like this Tristan Thompson type postseason, whereas like he's just being good at the right time. I mean, like Tristan Thompson was not very good. He was just like a, a fine role player last year for the Cavaliers, and then all of a sudden, because of injury, he stepped up. Bam, max, almost like, a max contract guy. And he like everyone kind of wants to credit Del Vadova for shutting down Steph Curry in the finals yeah. for a couple games last year. No, that was all Tristan Thompson's pick and roll defense. Played great pick and roll defense, brought a ton of energy, like just like everything that the the Cavaliers needed from that position, he brought. And now, now Biombo is out Tristan Thompsoning Tristan Thompson. Shout out to Justin Rowan over Cavs yeah. and on Twitter at Fear the Sword. He he was the one who said that Biombo was a Tristan Thompson's poor man, and you know what? He was completely and totally right. Yeah, because like when Biombo's playing like this, yeah, he basically is Tristan Thompson. And, and that's insane. And it's great for what the Raptors need to do. And just, I mean, the Raptors aren't as talented as the Cavaliers. They just have to outwork and out-energize and just like just be more focused than the Cavaliers right now. And the Cavaliers right now, after going up 2-0, they're just kind of they just seem like so like frustrated. It's and we're gonna talk about Warriors Thunder. It's very similar to what's going on over there, where the Thunder are just getting all the loose balls. They're outworking the the Warriors, and it's. You know, the Raptors did the same thing against the Heat. They were just always, like, those last few games, they were just outworking them. They had more energy and more urgency. And I don't know what attributes to that or contributes to that, but it's just, it's, it's, it's just nauseating if you're a fan of the other team. You're like, why can't my team outplay these guys? Why aren't they working as hard? And it's just, it's not as simple as just working harder. And there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, but the, credit the Raptors. I mean, they're just, they're, Outworking the Cavaliers right now. Yeah, and that's probably as deep as we can really go with this, with getting ready to preview the rest of the series right now because game, because yeah. game five is probably going to start in what forty minutes or so. Yeah, five. five like one, from when we're recording this, there, yeah. there's your live recording update for listeners. <laughs> recording this on a Wednesday night. <laughs> but yeah, so that's when we're recording. So we can't really preview it, but what we can do is talk about just how incredible Bismack Biombo has been. And the big picture. I mean, just like, what does this mean for Bismarck Biombo? What does this mean for the Raptors? Can they keep Bismarck Biombo going in his offseason? DeMar DeRozan is a free agent. like, Or has a player option. He has a player option. So will likely be a free agent because they'll likely exercise that. What what happens to Biombo now? Let's start with where Biombo was before this. I covered the Hornets. Yes. I watched Biombo for a long time. He was always a very inconsistent player on defense and just a train wreck on offense. He couldn't catch the ball on offense. He couldn't post anyone up on offense. The most he could do, and this wasn't until late in his like time in Charlotte, was offensive rebound the ball and put it back for a dunk, which was the, his best offensive skill for a very long time. Early in his career, he was just he couldn't play consistent defense. 
he was that guy who would block shots and we'd be like, oh, he's a great rim protector. And then you look at his like numbers and you're like, actually, he's not good. He just chases blocks. And then in his final year in Charlotte, he became a really solid rim protector, a really solid rebounder. But over the offseason, Charlotte just stocked up on big men. And they were like, well, we got Spencer Hawes. We just drafted Frank Kaminsky. We got Al Jefferson. And we're playing Cody Zeller at center. We don't really have room at this point for Bismack Biombo, who's just He's been a solid rim protector and rebounder, but we just can't really keep him around. So they let him walk. They didn't even, like he, they could have extended a qualifying offer. No one would have offered him a contract, honestly. He probably would have taken the qualifying offer. And well, he went to Toronto for a dirt cheap contract. I remember when he signed it, I said, they probably got a steal in that because they got a solid rim protector and rebounder who just, that's all he's going to be for them. And that's fine. Like, that's where he was. Like, everyone wants to talk about how he's always... Everyone wants to talk about, like, how he's been a really good player for a while now. It's like, no! He hasn't. Is- and here's the thing with him. He's, he's 23 years old. He was drafted and, and played his first season when he's 19. The, the Hornets had him for... Charlotte had him for four years, from nine, from age 19 to age 22. And it just takes while... It takes a while for some of these guys to blossom. And that's kind of, like, the weird thing about... I mean, teams try to draft, like, the youngest players possible because you you get, like, if you hit on them early, you're getting, like, you know, two or three more years of of their prime, right, if you hit Yeah, but them. they all want Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis who, like, break out immediately. Exactly, and I, there there is a risk-reward to that. and then But the risk is that that player doesn't blossom until, you know, they're 20, only 23 years old and they're already four years into the league. And if you ha- and if you're patient with them and you resign them, then maybe that pays off. But at the but same the time, is, like maybe they don't. Yeah, but the problem with Biombo was that like he just didn't make enough steps forward. Right. To where you said, yeah, I can justify like keeping like taking a roster spot or eating money because let's face it, if they had kept them, they would have been they would have been kind of stuck. They would right. have had four or five centers on the roster, like. You can't have that. Like, they just, they had to get rid of someone. So, he's either not playing at all in Charlotte. So, like, that's another thing. A lot of I, a lot of Charlotte fans are really unhappy at how he's playing, like, how he's not in Charlotte right now. He wouldn't have played in Charlotte. I guarantee you. He right. might have played, like, very, he might have played end of bench minutes. He would have not been playing. And you've written about this. I mean, the, the things that the Hornets do and the things that the Raptors do are two different things. Like the, They the are Horn- two very the, different The teams. Hornets are trying to... They have Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lin that are trying to get to the rim, and Bismarck Biombo gets in the way of that. While well, Kyle Lowry gets to the rim, but DeMar DeRozan plays in that mid-range area. Kyle Lowry takes a lot of jumpers from the perimeter, they, and they have a lot of jump shooters and stuff. Like, you know, and he Bismarck can just Biombo's hang just in down the way, there. And... Right, and just grab offensive rebounds and be that guy and just get extra possessions. He's taking up too much space in the lane, and that's why they replaced him with guys like Frank Kaminsky and, and Zeller and all these guys that can space out a little bit more than what Biombo can do. I think that the I think both I think it was a like both parties are better for it. Like Biombo's better for it, obviously. The Hornets got to the playoffs and played really well in that took the Heat to seven games, and they look I like they're the on Hornets the right track, right? Like there was plenty of think pieces about how good the Hornets are going to be in a few years, right? Like how they're on the right track, and just because Biombo's playing well doesn't take anything away from that. Yeah, and really, Biombo going to Char- Toronto was probably the best thing for him. Right. He went to a team that that's really enhanced his skills. He's playing great there. And let's all be honest here, no one saw no one saw him all of a sudden learning how to catch the ball in the playoffs coming. Yeah. Like the fact that he's killing teams in pick and roll, he's never done that before. 
it's all and coming it, together at the right time for him. Yeah, and he's only 23. Awesome. Like it, I'm not going to say it was going to happen, but if it was going to happen, this was when it was going to happen. And I think a lot, and a lot of it obviously has to do with Jonas Valanciunas being hurt. Like he's getting the opportunity. That's the thing when you're when you're a young player and you're just trying to make it in the NBA and you only have like these spot, you know, eight to fifteen minutes per game, whatever it is, you don't really have a chance to make mistakes and learn from them. I mean, you you know, you if you're Bismarck Biombo the last four years, you drop a pass like he so often did and he's t- he's yanked out of the game. The Raptors didn't have a choice; they had to leave him in. So you just kind of naturally get better or find your rhythm. I just think a lot of that stuff has to has I to mean, do with this. He has been pretty good for Toronto all year, which... Yeah, he has. Like, it sounds like I'm crapping on him. I'm so happy that he's playing well. I really like the guy. I like. I was one of the people who defended him in Charlotte as a solid, like, backup big man. Mm-hmm. Now we can kind of get into his future. Would you pay him what he's going to get paid? I don't know what he's going to get paid. I don't know if you view him as a Tristan Thompson this year, because... I don't think he's the max player everyone says he's going to be. I think we're just kind of having fun with, like, over- overreactions. I think... Once the market's going to settle down, right? Like after the right. Raptors are eliminated, you know, maybe if they're eliminated. What, right. Once the once once the season, unless the Raptors win the finals because of Bismarck Biombo, the market's going to settle for him after after he's not on TV anymore. Um and I think I don't know, like with this I don't know. So I can't remember who said it, but basically they said what a good barometer for this cap is that think about what you would pay somebody and then add three or four million and that's like a similar market value as when this cap spikes to what's projected to be ninety two million dollars. Um so right now in this past year I'd probably pay him like I don't know, ten to twelve million a year. If you're if you need that, if you need like the what do you pay a backup big man? Because I still... well, unless you you can view him as a starter. Like if you have if you have a stretch four, right? If you're like the right team that has like the right pieces. If if I have a stretch four in place, and I just need an energy guy who's going to protect the rim, get me a bunch of offensive rebounds. You especially look at what the Thunder are doing right now with tons of second chance points on offensive rebounds. What what the Thunder are doing right now is also helping Biombo's market value, I believe, and. I don't know. I would pay if that's what I needed for my roster, and I thought that was somebody that could take my team to the next level. I'd give him probably ten million dollars, and maybe twelve million if the market pushed me. So in, the last, you, in last year's market or the upcoming market? last year's market. So if you add like three to four million, we're talking about like a fifteen million dollar player right now, which I don't think is out of the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I really answering. Three, I'm not I answering the question what I would pay. I'm thinking that's probably what he's going to get paid. I guess a three-year, fifteen million dollar deal for him, which I guess that that's not a bad contract considering the how much the cap space is going to blow up. Yeah, that's so hard to view. It's more just I see a lot of people saying like I pay him starter money, which I'm not sure I would do that because I'm not still not entirely sure if he's actually a starter. I think I think what the I think the move is. Find the next Bismarck Biombo. Like, who's the who's the next guy that's just not being... Yeah, a lot of people... Like, I know a couple of Magic fans who've been saying they want Biombo. I would personally go for the cheaper option of probably a Jan Mahinimi or a Festus Azel. Or, I don't know, is Festus going to get paid the same amount as Biombo? I think as, I think Festus is going to get paid more than Biombo. You think he's going to pay more? Yeah. Oh, Wait, yeah. I think there, right there's now. certain Festus, reasons. Festus, like he's Biombo, res- Mahinimi. Rank him. Festus... Mahinmi and Biombo? Yeah, I rank those three. Like in just terms of quality player? Quality and then contract. Give all right. Festus Azili. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh 
I like Biombo's age because Mahimi's like what five or six years older. So I'd go Biombo and then Mahimi. Um, because you're, yeah, if you gotta give me that potential of Biombo. I think Mahimi's maxed out. He's hit. His yeah, ceiling. Mahimi is twenty nine. Yeah. But he's been like Mahimi is really good. Like Mahimi, Biombo, that's all like the same type of player. I think like. I don't know, you mentioned the magic. Dwayne Dedman is going to be a free agent. Like, he's kind of underutilized and in kind of like this dumpster fire of, an, of a team with the magic right now. No offense, but... Dedman's kind of... Dedman is kind of like uh, the Biombo of Orlando, where it's like everyone kind of loves him, but then you look at him on offense and you're just like, ugh. Right, so if he gets with, like, I don't know, gets with the right team, give, give him a couple of years, and maybe he blossoms into something, like... And you can get him for dirt cheap. So... Um, yeah, really, what all these guys have kind of shown us is that for a long time we've been saying offensive rebounding isn't valuable in the NBA anymore. Hmm. Like, because look at the Hornets this year. They completely abandoned offensive rebounding. Like, they just immediately got back and played defense. They were the worst offensive rebounding team in the NBA, which is fine. That was their scheme. But then you have guys like Biombo, like Tristan Thompson, like Mahinimi, like Deadman when he's playing well, and like Azeli, who just they can really change a game with offensive rebounding. And maybe that just means you have one particular player who, yes, who offensive rebounds and then everyone else goes back. But and that's then what the I, value for those players are, right? Like you, right. Tristan Thompson got paid because he, he was essentially going to do that for the Cavaliers. Like, no, we'll put you at center, you offensive rebound. We can all get back. I mean, Whiteside, that's what his value for the heat are. I mean, you look at like a big center who's gonna offense who's gonna rebound the ball. You don't really think that player inspires a pace like a fast-paced team, but they kind of do, and they kind of because they're able to allow the other players not to have to crash the boards. They can just get back and just get in transition and stuff like that. Because now you're also talking about outlet passes and and things like that. I don't know. So let's let's move on to the whole series in general. Raptors Cavaliers. Cavaliers go up from up to zero. Now the series is tied 2-2. It's a best-of-three series. What the hell is happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in 30 minutes, like, none of this might not matter. But right, I guess, that's true. I guess what I would say, like, for the moment, just Cleveland uh, Cleveland got punched back. Yeah. Like, for the first time in the play, like, for the first time all playoffs, they got hit in the mouth, and, like, they responded, but then Toronto responded right back. Like, Toronto... Kyle Lowry all, became Kyle Lowry. DeMar DeRozan became DeMar DeRozan. It's amazing. Toronto was so bad for the entire playoffs until now. I mean, they're lucky to be at the point that they're at right now. And I would have... If the Hornets had beaten the Heat, I would have picked them to be, to be in the conference finals over Toronto with how bad Toronto was playing. Right. I don't even know if they would have... I don't even know if Toronto would have been able to survive them. Because I, I still feel like the reason they beat the Heat was because of injuries. Oh, for sure. If Whiteside's healthy, the Heat win that series. Yeah, which I'm not trying to take away from how good Toronto's been, especially Biombo. It's more just a case of they were playing so bad at the time, and now they're not playing bad anymore. Like it's so weird. It, that's the laziest analysis I can think of. But at I the think same time, right. it's so right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, let's move over to the Western Conference Finals because that one's just been more fun, even though it's been a bunch of blowouts. But it's just been super interesting. The Thunder last night went up three one over the over the uh, the Warriors, which is incredible. Or not to sound too hot takey here, but do you think that the Warriors are done? No. All right. They won seventy three. Yeah. Come on. They can win three straight in a row. Yeah, and they have two in Oracle. 
So if they, right. like if they win game five, then they just gotta win the one in OKC. So that's the biggest question. I think that they're gonna win game five. I just don't see I do it. too. I I think that's kind of I don't know. I you have to assume that at this point. And yeah, it's gonna be that 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 game in Oklahoma City. This Thunder looks so good, dude. Like how Going cool is this to see how cool is this to see the Thunder just like kinda get it together all of a sudden? Going back to the offensive rebounding thing, like yeah. what's really kind of fascinating to me about the Thunder this year is they were like the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA, and the way they've killed the the way they beat the Spurs and the way they've killed the Warriors, they're better at being big than you. And when you go small, they just kill you on the boards offensively. Mm-hmm. Second chance after second chance, like they just keep going and going. And then they got the death machine and Durant and Westbrook. And then Roberson's been stepping up and I mean those second those second chance points are almost as as they're just like they're killers like the the Warriors three point shooting it's just like you know you you work hard on defense you get to stop you, you stop Durant or Westbrook and then you gotta do it again yeah it's it's wild and it's just it has that same effect like the Thunder are out Warriorsing the Warriors but just in a different way and I think you know obviously it's awesome to see Westbrook and Durant do all of this and to see the like you said Waiters and Roberson and all of them do that. Um, the crowds had a ton of energy. Like, the Thunder are figuring this out. And I don't know, man. Like, I just... I've talked... I I live in the Bay Area, and so I've talked to a lot of Warriors fans today after last night's game. They're like, Curry's just not shooting well. I'm like, dude, it's more than that. Like, I mean, it's more than I Curry I will say, not Curry missed well. a layup last night. Curry, Curry's clearly not playing well, right? Like, that's fine. But the Thunder are throttling the Warriors. Oh, like it's incredibly throttling. Like... They are. They've made Draymond Green look like a fool, right? They're and like, they've made Curry so incredibly uncomfortable that I know everyone wants to say, "Oh, why would you take away from the Thunder by talking about the injury?" Like he, if he is injured, which I think he is, kind of injured, they're making it so incredibly hard for him that that injury seems so much worse than it probably is. And they have they have like guy they have Durant on Curry like often, like that's a <laughs> good strategy. And he's swallowing him. Right. Like, Curry has, time after time, had issues with length. And this is not new. Like, the Thunder did that against the Warriors. They would put Durant on Curry. They know that that's something that works for them. So it's, like, I just, I'm trying to tell the people out here, like, look, it's more than Draymond Green not playing well. And it's more than Steph Curry just not making shots. Like, it's more than Andre. It's Andre Roberson killing them. It's Steven Adams just being a monster. Yeah. Like, the Warriors just don't have answers for this stuff. I mean, Roberson had 17 points, right, last night? And, like, I think all of them or most of them, all I, I'm pretty sure I looked at a shot chart and all but two points that he had or three points, he made one three-pointer, I think, were right under the rim. Like, that's not that's Roberson getting shoots. hot. That's Roberson being wide open under the rim. That's I will not... say that's where all, Roberson always shoots. He always shoots in but the corners getting, and at the rim. I went back and watched all of his shots. He's wide open. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, like I'm working on a piece about Roberson right now about about just this. And I just I went back and watched the shots and just how he got open. And it's so I know, isn't it so fun watching Roberson be as good as he's been? It's kind of awesome, right? Like that's I like, love it. It it's it's so we talk about Biombo stepping up. Now Roberson's finding his groove. Like it's like the playoffs are so interesting for these things. Roberson um, was just like people were saying like he was unplayable on offense. I don't. I, a lot now. A lot of people are talking about like, oh, like the Thunder have found their two guard. Like the, this is the guard that they've always wanted. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know if this is just something that they've. 
if it's a mismatch thing, if it's, I don't know. I'm not willing to say that Roberson's all of a sudden like the long-term answer at the two-guard spot for them. But it's working right now, and that's all that matters. He is pretty young. Yeah, like, he's not bad. Like, he he can work there. I'm not sure if he's, like, solved all of their problems. Like, I'm not... Oh, he's... I mean, he's not the reason they're winning games. He's just the... He's just been a key part of it. Yeah, and he's, like... You know, when you're surrounded by guys like Westbrook and Durant and Steven Adams and Enos Kanter and Serge Ibaka, like, somebody's gonna get let loose. Like, somebody's going to be ignored just because somebody like those guys have to be double teams and basically what it's happened is that if it's roberson or if it's Deion waiters or whatever the warriors just aren't like the warriors have been relying on their help defense to to defend those guys because they're like doubling durant and westbrook nearly every time they have the ball um especially in the screen roll but like their help defense just is really bad like they're just that's that's all there is to it like just if they were better on help defense roberson's not getting those wide open looks so I don't know, like the the war- sure, but Roberson still like he's getting these wide open looks, but he's putting himself in these situations to get these wide open looks. And yeah. when he is being the, and when he is in those wide open situations, he's making them pay so much because like, and we especially saw it early in the series where they were like, okay, beat us. You can't shoot, beat us. And he's like, all right, I will beat you. And Credit- that's what's been the most fun about like watching this because like I love guys like him where like they just work really freaking hard yeah and like he's such a bad offensive player for most of his career like i don't think he's ever averaged more than like five points or something ridiculous apparently this is the first time he scored over 15 points like that's awesome (laughs) like i love guys like roberson like they are my favorite kind of player shouts to billy donovan by the way he okay i wrote about this i wrote about this actually um when Roberson had one of his uh, games against the uh, Spurs, he had a game where like he just shot really well from the corners. And I looked at it like I looked at uh, his numbers for the year and like his shot chart and everything. All Billy Donovan has Roberson do, do is shoot from both corners and at the rim. Like that's all he has him do, and it just it helps him so much. And in getting like when he actually does shoot. He punishes you because he's shooting like all these high percentage areas. So like shouts to Lily Donovan, like you said, in putting him in these situations to succeed because then his confidence gets up, and then he's shooting from the wing last night and killing you there. And he's doing these little things that don't necessarily like show up in the box score or even a shot chart where he's learned to screen really well and how to slip screens really well. You know what I mean? Like he does that. He does that thing that the Spurs do really well, where they like they'll switch the direction of the screen at the last minute, like. He's really like Roberson's figuring out how to do that really well against the Warriors, and it's kind of throwing their their coverages for a loop. And he just, you know, the Thunder are consistently bringing him, you know, up from the baseline up to the up to like the high screen area to screen for Durant or Westbrook, and he just slips the screen because nobody bothers to cover him, and he's just got like a wide open lane to the rim, and that can either allow him, that gives him an opportunity to create for some other, somebody else on a dump off pass or just get a shot up and. That's the thing. If you just get a shot up with the way that the Thunder have been offensive rebounding, that's good. Like Canner, chances are Canner and Adams come or or Adams come down with the ball, and you guys get another possession out of it and a whole new shot clock. So, um, yeah, it's been awesome to watch that. Uh, moving on to Dave Fisdale, a new coaching hire on the uh, not one of the big names that have been on the coaching carousel. What is with the Grizzlies coaching like? Everyone frequently forgot they were looking for a coach. Yeah. 
I think I even what I I think I even mentioned in the friendly bounce thread that like, I was like, who's got a coaching opening? Just the Rockets now, right? And like somebody had to correct me, like, oh, in Memphis too. And I was like, all right, yeah. Yeah, I was like, who? <laughs> uh, Never heard of them. <laughs> the Grizzlies? What? What's that? Like oh. their candidates were James Borrego, like Fisdale, like just not just assistants, like assistants you haven't heard of. Yeah, and they, the th- so let me just talk a little bit about Fisdale because he he was an assistant coach of the Heat. Um, he's been around since he's been around for like the last eight years was on the big three tour. Um, and I, he's a little different than Jaeger because Jaeger is really like one of the, like, he's kind of a controlling analytical type. Um, and not to say that Fisdale isn't because he's from the heat organization, which is an analytical organization, but He's a little. He, his his main thing is his player relationships, which I think is going to be really important for the Grizzlies. Like they, you know, Lionel Hollins was there. He had some good relationships with players. Jaeger apparently didn't really have the best relationships. So you know, Fizdale's going to come in and hopefully have good relationships with the players. He's got a pedigree. He's won championships. He has he has rings. He's coached in the NBA since 2003 as an assistant. Like, he's got a little bit of a Steve Clifford vibe to him, I think. Like, this is just a solid hire. Maybe not the big name that you were thinking, but somebody that's just been around, been around different organizations. Fisdale's worked with the Warriors, the Hawks, and the Heat. Like, just kind of has waited. Like, Fisdale's got, like, coaching interviews in the past, but always said that he was waiting for the right opportunity. And right now, thinks I guess he thinks this is a good opportunity because according to Adrian Wojnarowski... Like the two, the Grizzlies and the and Fisdale are coming to an agreement soon. Um, they're working on a contract like as we speak, apparently. So I don't. I think it's a like it's hard to say if a, if a hire is good or not, but I like it for Memphis. I'll say I'm glad someone's going for, to the freaking Heat tree instead of the Spurs tree for once. Yeah, that's the other thing. Spoles, the Spurs for coaching tree. I mean, this is this is a time for celebration. And not just like not just we're the planting the Spurs like, for Riley tree. No, we're like, calling the, this the Spurs tree. We can, but just. This is like the heat. And I've, so, I've always been fascinated by how like how no one goes through that that heat coaching tree when they're like one of the best organizations in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the Heat had this weird thing where they turned over its um, coaching staff a couple years ago. So I don't know how much that had to do with it, and I don't know how much people are like, like I don't, I don't. This wasn't true, but I don't know how much the perception was. Yeah, Pat Riley's the coach, and and. Spolster that has, really that that has always kind of plagued Spolster early on in his career, which was just right. the dumbest thing in the entire world. Well, early in his career, I don't like. There was definitely more of that mentor mentee type thing, but lately, Spolster has clearly taken more of a lead on this. I mean, it's been it's been reported that Spolster was the guy that wanted to play small ball, wanted to put Chris Bosh at the five, when Pat Riley himself was like against it. Like that was Spolster's movement forward, and that's ultimately what won them two championships. But um, Fisdale has been under that the entire time. He's been the lead advisor for Spolster. Spolster said that he, when, you know, he confirmed that yes, Fisdale is interviewing and that he's nervous because he's about, because he felt like he could lose his lead assistant, but that they're, you know, they're really good friends and he's obviously happy for them. But like, that's a, this is a big loss for the Heat just because that's their top assistant for the last eight years, essentially. Um, I don't know. I'm happy for Fisdale, man. Like dude's always been cool. Like. I think he's going to be a good coach. I think he's, he, he's there's something to be said about patience. And I like that the Grizzlies aren't just doing, like, let's just hire your next player and make him our coach. Let's just not, like, you know, like the Knicks did with Derek Fisher. <laughs> if they got a guy that, like, 
you know, went through the ranks and did the work, you know, you know what I mean? Like those to me are the play, those are the, those are the coaches that like make it, you know, Spolstra and, and Frank Vogel, who was just hired by the magic. Like those guys like did the work. They started in video rooms and they did the work to move up. Like, I feel like they just, they're grounded in something more than just being, just having played in the NBA. I like, I like when coaches like this are hired. Yeah. I really liked your uh, Steve Clifford comparison because Clifford, I remember when he got hired, I was kind of like, I don't really know who this is, but when I looked at him, I was like, he was an assistant for all of these Van Gundy teams. Like, he was under Jeff Van Gundy in uh, New York, and then he was under Stan Van Gundy in um, Orlando, and he, like, spent, like, one year in L.A., I think, with Mike D'Antoni. Like, he was just under all these coaches, like, that just had so much success. And then he goes over to Charlotte and just is immediately successful. And, like, oh, well, it's not – it's surprising how immediately good he was, but it shouldn't be too shocking when you look like, look at all these people he's learning from. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, you know, if you're of an ex an ex player, I really I don't like when ex players are like just suddenly hired. Like Jason Kidd is like the one that worked, right? And that's even arguable. I mean, I'm a, I'm probably the biggest Jason Kidd as a head coach fan there is, but like Derek Fisher didn't work. A lot of these things don't work, and I like when. You know, the flashy one doesn't always work best. Like, hiring Mike D'Antoni doesn't always work best. Like, hiring Byron Scott clearly does not work. Like, it's... I like the coaches that are like Steve Clifford and Fisdale that have... Like, maybe you don't know about them, but you look them up and you're like, oh, wait, no, these guys, like, they've been studying for this for, like, the last 10 years. Like, this, they're ready for the test. Yeah, and I do kind of like that... I've always liked that over, oh, let's just hire the no-name, the really no-name assistant. Like, the Magic, when they hired Jacques Vaughn, were looking for, like, the diamond in the rough, which was fine considering where they were at the time. But it's always nice to see someone go for, like, kind of a guy that you haven't really heard of, but that's worked more. Yeah. Like, I know that sounds kind of contradictory, but, like, I mean the guy who, like, has been around for a while. Vaughn had only been, like, a coach for, like, a few years. Yeah, I mean, like, like, teams want, like, young coaches a lot because they want to, like, grow the organization, blah, blah, blah. Like, and we see this, like, especially in the NFL now. Like, coaches are getting hired at, like, 40 years old. Sometimes you just got to get the guy that can do the work. Who's been around forever and, like, you know what? He finally should get a chance at this. Like, I think the name that I saw everyone talk about was Messina. Yeah. And to go back to that young thing again, like that would have exactly been what Hiram Borrego would have been. Who, his head coaching experience was he was the he was the head assistant for Vaughn in Orlando, and then he was like, then he went to San back to San Antonio because I think he was in San Antonio before when he, before he went to, was in Orlando, and like he was the head coach in Orlando when Vaughn got fired, and he was fine, but like he was an interim, so none yeah. of it really mattered. And like if they had hired him, I would have been like cool for him, but like why is he getting hired? Right. Well, then you have this guy like Fisdale who has been around forever, been on three teams. He spent one year with Golden State as an assistant, a lot of years with Atlanta, then the rest of his career with Miami. Like he's been around forever. And he's and he's worked with guys like like Clifford, that guys that know how to make an organization more than just the X's and O's coaching, but how to relate to players, how to relate to all different kinds of players, how to make like a good, how to create a good culture. Like that's all real. We we've seen it time after time. That's really important stuff. Um, I almost teams are. I almost Sorry, like ahead. I almost like this more than the Luke Walton hire for the Lakers because Luke Walton hire was the flashy one and, yeah, like Luke Walton has a ton of potential, but he was also coaching the Warriors. Like, he was he he just jumped in and started piloting like a plane that was already going Fire like, pilot. to its destination. Shout out to David Blatt. <laughs> right, like, <laughs> well, 
And it's... I'm not saying Luke Walton's going to be a bad hire for the Lakers, and it's certainly worth paying him to see if he is the next great coach in the NBA. Like, that's that's fine. If, you, if you're trying to find out, pay him and find out. But there's something about, like, a Fisdale hire that's just... It, it just seems a little bit more rooted in something. Like, it more than just a, a, a shot in the dark. Like, I kinda, you just have the feeling like he's not going to be absolutely trash. Yeah, like, he'll at worst be mediocre. And that's okay. Like, because in the NBA, like... There's a lot of mediocre coaches. And that's fine. Like, there's yeah. very few coaches that can, you know, win you games, right? Like, we, we talk about that all the time. How many coaches actually make, like, a tangible difference? Like, and then how... But that, that's, that's a I'll smaller... I'll say we're to get group. a lot more good coaches than bad coaches. I agree. But when you have a really bad coach, if you have just, like, the worst coach... <laughs> it's obvious. Hello, Byron Scott. Right. Like, it just plummets your team. It just, like, takes your team down into the doldrums. It ruins relationships with players. If you have contracts that are expiring, you could you could literally lose players because you guys haven't been winning and it just sets your organization back. Like if you have just a mediocre coach, you're just not in the way that doesn't necessarily set your organization back, which I think is good. Like that in itself is a fine thing. I'm wondering if we're starting to see like a new way of like hiring coaches to where, Hmm. well, I think former players will always have a place in the NBA and while assistant, while like young assistants will also always have a place. I wonder if we're going to start seeing more of these guys who like have just been around forever. Because another name that we've seen a lot of is Stephen Silas in, um, or is it Stephen or Stephen? I have no idea. It's um, Paul. It's a uh, Steve. I'm going to go with Stephen Silas. Stephen Silas, sure. and he's an assistant in Charlotte right now. He's been in Charlotte forever, and um, he's currently being like named as the potential head coach for the Rockets, which was kind of weird because it was like. No one's heard of this guy. He's not even, like, the head assistant in Charlotte. That's Patrick Ewing. But, like, apparently he's, like, well-respected across the league. And I wonder if we're going to start seeing more of those guys compared mm-hmm. to uh, the Messinas. So I was like, oh, here's this top – the Messinas, the uh, Brian Shaws. I was like, here's this top assistant that everyone's been praising forever. It's like, will they finally get a head coaching gig? Right. Yeah, it's an interesting. it's an interesting thought. And I just – one thing we can count on is this NBA coach is getting fired. <laughs> That's always going to happen. Because <laughs> even good coaches lot. get fired. I remember when Spolstra was only like a coach for like a little while. Like He was already like the third most tenured coach in the NBA at some point. He was like, really? Yeah. That's, That's uncomfortable. All right. Well, I think we got to get back to the noodle bar. Oh, yeah. I'm, I think I'm ready I'm for seconds. <laughs> Super San. Super San. Um... Cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Chris. This has been the uh, or a podcast to be named later. You find it at the Friendly Bounce, and it's part of the Hardwood Proxies and Basketball Network over at Blog Talk Radio. You can subscribe on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us, and we'll be back soon. In the end, it doesn't even matter. <laughs>